I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. Today we're remembering a friend, someone with whom I have had the pleasure of collaborating since this show began 10 years ago, either as a publicist that was booking her clients or as a contributor, and you'll hear a little bit more about that in a minute. We're remembering public relations pro, loyal friend, industry advocate, and a truly wonderful person, Christine Anderson. When I started Convo by Design, one of my first collaborators was Christine. She was working with Snyder Diamond, the show's first sponsor. And like everyone else in the industry in 2013, Christine wasn't really sure what a podcast was, but that didn't stop her from asking me how she could help or recognizing that this could be a tremendous platform for her clients. Since then, I had the privilege of getting to know Christine. And while I really, gosh, I I cannot imagine what the Southern California design and architecture community looks like without her, I'm thankful that I got the opportunity to know and work with her. Christine was as I mentioned, a staunch advocate for her clients. And more more than that, she was a partner that brought new ideas, fresh perspective, and always had a kind word. When sometimes that that was what was really necessary. She was always there with that or that sweet smile. In 2015, I was working with the West Edge Design Fair in Santa Monica and had a huge install a stage sponsorship, designers, parties. And I remember how Christine calmly worked with the whole team to make sure that things went off without a hitch. And they did. That was one of the things I will always remember most about her was her willingness to jump in, roll up her sleeves, and get to work. So I also mentioned that Christine was a show contributor. I I think what I want to do is... Instead of gushing on, which, by the way, I I could do uh, for quite some time about how wonderful Christine was, um, and her loss is is a shock uh, reverberating through the the entire industry. It was sudden. So what I think is, I I would love, you know, Christine was on was on Convo by Design. Gosh, I think she four times. So I think I'd like to start with her first appearance on the show, because that was episode number four, her story, her words, her voice. I met Christine around 20, uh, 2009, I think, and after, after starting the podcast, I thought she would make a perfect guest for the show, and I was right. As I said, this is episode four, featuring Christine Anderson. Today, I am joined by Christine Anderson of Communication Arts and Design, Inc., it is a uh, PR firm that specializes in interior design, architecture, uh, the arts. Uh, Christine, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. So you you are Los Angeles. You're an Angelino, uh, born and raised, and you've been practicing in in this market for a while. You you know this market very well. I do know it very well. Yes, we've been doing PR now in this area for over twenty years. So. In regard to the to the shelter space, designers, architects, retailers, why do why do they need 
someone to help them with their public relations? I think it's very hard for them to find the time to market themselves in a specific way that would really kind of transform their, their career. And that is one of Christine's clients. We're going to come right back after the conversation. So it's important to note that when the clients call, you actually answer, even if you're doing an interview, and that's important, you have to do that. Back to what you do for your clients. You know, we look for a distinctive brand to give the clients. Oftentimes they come to us, and it's interesting, the brightest people will sit down with us and say, I really want to spread the word that what we give is personal attention and that we work very hard for our clients. And it's exactly what everyone says. And then that, that's my starting point. I say, well, we're in trouble. You know, it's the very beginning. Now we're in trouble. Let's really work on that further. So we look to develop something that's quite distinctive so that when they go out and promote themselves and redo the website, people really can have a handle on them, you know, kind of an elevator pitch that's kind of provocative and interesting. So they're really original. And that also opens up media doors, too. So let's start with that. When, when you're working with a new client for the first time, they have a certain assumption who they want to be may not necessarily be who they are. How do you get to the promotable part of who they are so that you can actually help them? That's a very good question. You interview them relentlessly until you find it. Sometimes they can't get it. Sometimes it's just simply not there yet. They do beautiful work. They do transitional design. They do contemporary. They do classic interiors. They're across the board. They're well-known. People hire them. They're busy. But it doesn't mean anything in terms of how you're going to get a news angle on them. So we work to kind of uncover something. And sometimes an accidental phrase will come out in the process of talking to them. Um, one of my clients is Julia Wong. And she is doing this fabulous sort of sleep therapy room called Dream on Beverly, where it's the penultimate area where they they can sort of have deep sleep, um, sleep without interruption, um, beautiful aromatherapy ambient sound, everything. She's got it down. So that's going to be one of our angles for Julia. It makes her quite original. Editor's note, by the way, we interviewed Julia Wong at the uh, Dream by Custom Comfort uh, showroom. And you can find that episode. Uh, if it's not up now, it will be up shortly. And, and you're right. That was, a, that was a great angle for her. So in that particular case, when you're talking to, to Julia, did you know right away or did she know right away that this was the direction she wanted to take her career. Because when, when you're talking to a designer, and I think it's so interesting too, when we talk to designers, they answer the question the same way as to how they relate to their clients. Their clients will say one thing, and then after a deep, intense interview, that's not what they wanted at all. That's correct. That's correct. They have the terminology wrong. They say we really want Tudor, and what they actually want is Mediterranean. It's incredible how it can turn out. They've got pictures on the coffee table, and they end up getting something that's so markedly different. So that's very true with designers, too. With Julia, she gave us maybe five or six different story angles of things that she was working on, and we picked up on just one or two that we thought were particularly interesting, and we're going to go with that. Designers work. We were, we were talking a little bit before we started about designers, architects, the mindset. And it's interesting because for, for those in the trade who are listening, you know, they'll be able to relate to this. They spend 80% of their, of their waking hours, their time sourcing materials and doing the jobs that they're, that they're working on currently. Mm -hmm. They spend the other 20% of, of their available time trying to find the next job, the next client, the next opportunity. Do, they they don't spend a great deal of time promoting themselves, promoting the work that they've done. How how do you how do you get there? How do you convince 
them that this is important to them and what they need to be doing? I think with rare exception, um, it may not be one of their best skills because number one, they're working, they're busy, they're artists, you know, they're, they're doing these spectacular interiors. But I would say nowadays, nearly everybody wants promotion of some sort or another. Um, whether they're willing to make the investment is another issue. But I'm approached pretty much daily by designers from all different areas of the trade who realize they need promotion. They just don't know quite how to go about it or what is the most important. Is it social media? Is it Architectural Digest? Is it television? You know, what's it going to be? They're all very curious about that. So interesting. From your perspective, talk to me about ancillary media. Talk to me about media in general. Um, let's start with the the number one area where designers okay designers want a couple of things right designers all want their own line designers all want uh, a reality show correct and designers all want to get magazine coverage absolutely in, true in shelter publications absolutely true yes so let's start with the shelter publications take me through the process all right. So we had um, a spectacular home that was basically designed around an art collection. And um, it's going to be an Architectural Digest. We just got word like two days ago, which is very thrilling. And we had to wait about six months to get word. And it, the most difficult part of all, we knew we wanted it because it's got the, the, the wonderful circulation numbers and the readership. What was difficult was convincing my clients to sit tight and be patient and wait and I nearly lost them. On the sixth month, they said, we're going to take it somewhere else. we got to move it, got to move it along. And I said, no, I believe there's sufficient interest. It's just, Digest is backlogged. And that's the number one hit that you want for everybody, if the project's appropriate. This was appropriate. It hit all the high notes, had an important art collector and homeowner, and an amazing collection. So that was how we focused on that. So it's interesting, too. It kind of, it kind of crosses over into the, the psychology of it all. Because, you know, six months into a project, they're moving on to something different. Their clients are moving on to something different. Correct. The opportunity to go shoot the project, you're losing, you're losing the window. Well, it's frustrating, too, because this was a young architect. And this was really his, his baby, and it's a spectacular home. And, you know, this has, is very key to getting future projects. And while you're waiting for Digest, you know, you don't show it on the website. You don't show it uh, during presentations. You don't send it to any other media, certainly. It's, it's a sort of clandestine project that's under lock and key. Uh, with due respect to Digest, they have to do that because they're breaking news, and this is important. So very difficult to have your clients, when this is the most important thing they've ever done, sit tight and wait and hope it's going to happen. It's worth the wait is the bottom line. It's worth the wait. What's the most important part of pitching a concept to an editor? Um, knowing that it's right for the media, right for that publication. Knowing that you read that publication cover to cover and you do not waste their time pitching something that's really not right for them. Has there ever been a situation or can you recall a situation where you knew the project was spot on? You knew it was right, you knew it was right for them, it was right for them at the moment, and it still didn't happen. Uh, I'm sorry to say that's happened a number of times to most publicists, for sure. You know, you're careful that you, you send them your best goods, but they're inundated. And it may be that the issue before, you know, the one that you're, you're vying for, they did a home that was somewhat similar to the one you're pitching. Maybe it was thematic for their particular issue about coastal living or whatever it may be. And you've got a coastal home, but they just, you know, inundated their readership with, with coastal homes. Your timing could be off. Not the aesthetics, but the timing. So, you know, they're looking for theme, type, originality, um, homeowners they haven't profiled, designers they haven't profiled too many times that year. A number of factors go into their decision. Has a client ever sabotaged themselves? 
Yes. I had a client one time who took it upon himself to call Digest and say, this is taking too long, and this is very important, and I'm, I'm going to pull this project right away if you don't make a decision. <laughs> that was the end of it. That can happen. You know, there's naivete that goes into the whole thing, too. And, 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 and sometimes I'll say to a client, you know, whatever you do, let's not send this project in. It's really not right for El Decor, say, as an example. And maybe on their own, they, they get impatient. They don't want to wait again for the other plums that you think are right for them. And maybe their assistant will send it in just for the heck of it to see if it happens. And that's problematic because then it's embarrassing because your name's attached to it as well as the publicist, and it looks like no one knows what they're doing. So you really have to go through the channels and be, you know, proprietary about it and proper. We were talking uh, a little bit ago before we, we started this um, about the recession, mm-hmm. and I found it really interesting. I, I asked, you know, how hard were you hit? Because I know that it, everyone took a hit in the in the last you know seven eight years mm-hmm. from from developers to architects to retailers to manufacturers to right. designers homeowners um, mm-hmm. and your your response was was kind of interesting and and I think it it bears it bears repeating you didn't have a hard time I actually didn't and this is not being promotion-esque this is really true um, there were a few clients that we lost like everybody you know there were those letters that came in saying I'm you know it's we've lost all of our clients we can't continue but with those few losses about 12 new people came in who had never considered PR and didn't take it seriously and were really panicked and they said we've got to do something we've got to promote we've got to find a way to get ourselves up front and center you know our client base is leaving so we were very instrumental with a lot of new clients who hadn't considered PR before. And, you know, they, they, they needed us. They really needed us. So that's how that happened. So for new clients and new business, because the new business is the, is the lifeblood of, of any business, right. whether, whether you're in PR or you're in design or architecture, retailer, manufacturer. Yeah. Um, when you're talking to a new client, I'm going to assume a couple of things. First is that they, they have no idea how to budget for PR services. I imagine that there's an education process that you have to take them, take them through. Yes, there is, yes. Take me through the education process in, insofar as here's how you establish a budget for PR. Here is how to, here's how to establish expectations. Here's how to manage and, and determine quantifiable results. How do you take them through the whole process? That's such a good question because it's a very funny thing about PR. I always say damned if you do and damned if you don't. It's a very complex profession. And it's very hard to say, if you hire us, this is what's going to happen to you. It's so multifaceted. Um, it's a credibility tool, for one thing. And I think when I start with clients, I say, all right, this can be direct sales for you as time goes by, but not in the first 30 days. So I do a very comprehensive proposal, which lays out the entire strategy. It talks about all the media we're going to approach, the various potential story angles, what we will anticipate happening without promises. And it's pretty comprehensive. So that's, that's step one. After that, we send it to the client, and then they sit down with us for a secondary meeting, and then we go through an actual month-by-month program. If the proposal meets their interest sufficiently, then we'll say, let's talk strategy. Let's talk the next six months. What will we do with you specifically based on the projects we're now seeing? And then you get very concrete about it. And then you go from there, and you, and you divide it into social media, um, branding and marketing, publicity, public speaking, 
um, VIP lunch and dinner introductions, special event attendance. It's a whole gamut of things. You put them all together, and it's going to spell a lot of career enhancement for that person because suddenly everyone's going to be talking about them, and they're not quite sure why. You know, you, you do a very comprehensive approach. What I think is interesting, too, about your firm is you're not working with just interior designers. You, you work with architects. You, you right. work with retailers and manufacturers. But you also specialize in the arts. Talk about that a yes, little bit. Yes, we do. Well, I used to be an art dealer, you know, way back when. And I worked for some very interesting people. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, that's a fascinating world to itself. It's a very quirky world. And it's a very intellectual world. And it's something I still love. And I would meet all the interior designers who would come in looking for pieces, you know, for the estates they were working on or the hotels and so forth. And eventually you put the whole thing together. But the, the art world is quite quirky. And there are very specific rules as a fine artist that you kind of have to follow to get into the roster of the right galleries. So that's a profession unto itself, and we offer career guidance for artists and sculptors, along with, you know, helping them with their media and their outreach, and sometimes we even try to influence them getting seen by galleries or put under the nose of galleries, so. Do you look for a certain level of artists to start working with, or do you just look for what you like? It's not that we really look for artists at this point. Um, the truth is people come to us because they're at a career benchmark. What I find lately, the past two years, a lot of mid-career artists will come to us. And they really want to be in L.A. Louvre or Gagosian or they want to be in New York. And, and they're ready to get that next sort of you know media saturation around them so that their credibility is, is greatly enhanced and they're seen quite a bit. So there's a combination of running ads in national publications, um, bringing them to the attention of very serious art writers, um, considering whether they're at a point where they should be critically reviewed. So you kind of take it step by step, but they want to make that next leap to get out of being good to being great. I would imagine, too, back to the, back to the topic of psychology with your clients, uh, artists... The, the art itself is not always cohesive with the business aspect of it. And PR for your work always has to fall back on the business side of the conversation. Right, right. And so um, how do you change gears with your artist clients? Because I'm going to assume that you have to. An architect, uh, For example, an architect is probably, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but an architect, while they have a, an artistic side to what they do, certainly – they're going to be more business savvy. Mm -hmm. They're going to be more business focused. Um, th they're probably going to be a little bit more pragmatic in general. That's generally true. Um, I always say it's really a pleasure working with the large commercial and institutional architecture firms because they understand process. They understand the waiting period. Um, they are business people. Um, the thing that, that is difficult about working with those firms is that they take forever to approve the news release because there's about 12 people involved in the process. And then they want to rewrite it in such a minute way um, that reflects precisely the way they're building the building that it becomes actually quite dull. And then you have to go ahead and sex it up again. You know, So that's one, one aspect of that. But yeah, it's a little bit easier, I think think in that in that process with artists you have to really chisel their work you can't just show everything that they've done you don't open the book and show the writers every single piece they've done you're looking for a curated series that's right for a gallery show so they have to in other words the art writers are looking for kind of a thematic look to an artist's career if they're jumping all over the map and doing a bunch of different things they don't look as serious or as easy to brand or niche so talk to me about collaboration, 
because I think I, I, I find you to be in a very interesting position. So you're, you're working with all these different clients ranging from designers, architects, artists, retailers, manufacturers, editors. You're working with – you're running the gamut. It's a lot of balls in the air. In the business, yeah. It it's really a, it's is. It's a lot of balls in the air. Yes. At the same time, if you're strategic in your vision, there are ways that you can collaborate with multiple at the same time to sort of help everyone get what they need. Do you find yourself doing that or do you, do you find yourself staying completely focused because you don't want to muddy the waters within – well, here's what's happened the past few years, you know, because of the the very the big variety of our clients, the architects, the builders, the designers, the artists, I try to really kind of put them together in social settings. And that's been so beneficial. I mean, I have one designer who's working with an artist that we handle now who met them at a dinner party we went to. Um, Another architect is working with a designer he had heard about for years and found out he was a client of mine. I put the two of them together. So I kind of do matchmaking in a sense now, and I do VIP introductions. And I think for a long time I didn't realize the kind of ammunition I had in my back pocket. I kind of thought about everything rather than holistically, individually, and I would give everybody their attention. But um, you can't, you don't really want to hermetically seal everybody. To me, the beauty and the joy has been putting people together. Like today, we had 12 people at the LA Conservancy Preservation Awards at our table, designers, builders, architects. Russ Diamond was the sponsor. Um, and it was terrific because everybody was talking afterwards, and we're all going to go to the Ace Hotel and have martinis next week, you know, <laughs> which is great because they will end up working together, guaranteed because of that lunch today. So that's really a pleasure to see that happen. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, you meant, so the, the charity side of it and, and giving back, um, it's really interesting because our, our, our industry is incredibly generous and you want to you wanna do well and do good at the same time. Do you get a, How do you get your clients involved in in those opportunities in the right in the right charities with the right groups? Well, in some cases, they come to us and we'll ask them what their favorite charity is. And some people are involved with concern, and some people are involved with AIDS charities and so forth. And that's always interesting in terms of profile stories on them because everyone's looking for a unique angle. And I really believe in having a compassionate edge to your business. That's very important. In the case of Snyder Diamond, we had a spectacular dinner party last year that was such a wonderful success, and. And the product was Fantini Italia. And what we did was we did a presentation on the Fountains of Africa, which is this amazing project where um, this gorgeous hardware line, Fantini, um, is back, basically sending water to these, you know, these very tough to reach regions of Africa. And we showed a film about that and people were so moved. They couldn't believe that this was actually going on or could happen because it's not, it's, it's a very difficult thing that they're doing and they're they're saving people's lives. And that was um, even for the drought consciousness, you know, that's going on so pre- presently now. So we look for opportunities like that to provide education and charity along with, you know, an aesthetic experience. So whenever I talk to designers, I ask them, I, you know what, I've done this with, with manufacturers as well because I, I think designers, manufacturers, and architects in particular – really know what what trends are developing and how things are coming mm-hmm. in, into the industry. Uh, so I'm going to ask you as well, not from a designer standpoint, but from a PR and client marketing standpoint, um, trends in the marketplace, trends in media. Uh, what, what, are you, what are you seeing in the next 
six to 18 months. I wish I could predict as well as Faith Popcorn. I don't really know how to answer that except to tell you that social media is hotter than ever. Um, Twitter was kind of great and people are still doing it, but now Instagram and the design world is really the number one interest. So um, wait, so that's really interesting to me. So so Twitter, which, you know, you, you, can, you can post pictures, but mm-hmm. Instagram is really, Instagram and Pinterest. Yes. The two. So you're seeing it go really back to a, a more visual a far more visual format and also i think people are are getting tired of the fact that with twitter you can't say very much you spend most of your time editing down the the very words you want to say and if you're a verbal person like i am and my clients are it's quite limiting you have to sort of think haiku where with instagram you know sky's the limit you can say what you need to say about the event you went to uh, the art you saw the interiors that were so impressive isn't that funny yet at the same time the focus really is the image the focus is the image, but you're able to enthusiastically talk about it um, in an unedited format, which is kind of fun. Yeah. So image first, text secondary. Um, media is changing dramatically. The fact that you and I are sitting here talking about interior design on a podcast, um, you know, five years ago, we, we wouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. Media has changed dramatically. Um, the Shelter publication has has shrunk but tightened so the there there are fewer of the publications but the ones that are around still are very very powerful that's very true so you have less opportunities um anything new that you've been exploring or or trying or any any new have you been introduced to any new sources that you just think are you know, thinking about that, because just today, um, my account coordinator sent us over a, a new uh, link that was for a, a new art collecting site. And I don't remember the name for the second because I have to check it out. But it looked interesting. And it was an art collection um, online publication that also focused on interior design as well. And I really want to look into that. So I would say the answer to your question is daily we find out about new, you know, online blogs and and interesting sites to look at. And and it's fascinating. It's endless. And the very ones that we loved like three years ago, maybe they're not here now anymore. So you've got to always be updating your media list all the time because it's, it's, it's like a domino of just spewing, you know, sites and new things to see. And you have to really stay on top of it. Well, you do. And, and the work there is, um, you know, you just, you look at new trends like, like crowdfunding. You know, you look at a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo where you have artists that are, that are funding shows through through you know one five twenty dollars at a time. It's fascinating. Didn't exist ten years ago. Didn't exist five years ago. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think it really is fascinating. But the point is, is for for all those designers, architects, artists who are out there working really hard, spending eighty percent of their time doing the work that they do, and twenty percent of their time trying to find the next job and the next client. You know that they have to they have to give time to publicity. Oh, they really do. They really do, and they have to be willing to take a risk when they work with us to not try to get each and every project they've ever worked on out at the same time, and to not worry that if they only if we pick say one genre. Um, you know, there was one designer who did gorgeous contemporary interiors, and I didn't feel her traditional work was quite as strong. So we suggested that we just move forward with the contemporary, and she was terribly afraid that would alienate, you know, her public who who is wants these traditional estates. Well, it doesn't because you need to have something that's strong to open up the media door. Once you open up the door and you secure the interview, it's up to your client when you work with them and train them to talk about the gamut of versatile things they do. But you've got to have that door wedge first. 
you know, that angle. Absolutely true. And with that, sadly, we are we are out of time, but I would like to encourage everyone to follow Christine online. You can find her C, the letter C, Anderson PR on Twitter. Correct. That's correct. And the website is? Uh, communicationartsinc.com. Okay. And, and follow her and, and check out the work that they do. And it, certainly if you're, if you're in need, give them a call. Um, this is Convo by Design. I'd like to thank my guest, Christine Anderson. And of course, thank you. Thanks for listening. After hearing Christine and getting a feel for her style, I wondered how her interviewing style might be different from mine. It differed greatly, which is why she made three subsequent appearances on the show. This is Christine's conversation with another great friend of the show and frequent guest, Lori Hafela. Hi there, it's Christine Anderson, and today we're talking to Lori Hafela of Hafela Design. Lori, welcome to the show. Hi, Christine. Thank you. Glad to have you here. Um, You have a really interesting specialization. You studied to be an architect, and you really thought you'd be one. But as it so happens, you are a leading kitchen specialist and wardrobe specialist. Tell me how you fell into this. (laughs) Totally by accident, of course. Um, I was actually very snobby about it all. (laughs) I was asked to help um, head up a, a kitchen design showroom in La Jolla. And I literally went into it kicking and screaming, like, okay, I'm going to do it because I'm a team player. But Honestly, I'm an architect, not a kitchen designer. <laughs> I was really snobby about it. But the reality is I fell into kitchen design and I fell in love with it and I've never left it. And it's been about 20 years now. All right. So this is a big surprise to you. You figured, you know, you went to Pratt, went to the UCLA master's program. You're involved in architecture and theory and everything else. And you thought, I'm absolutely going to be a practicing architect. And it did not happen. But you're fine with that now because you have a very successful career. Yeah. I, I mean, my theory, my thought is I can always go back to architecture. And as soon as I get bored with kitchens, I'm going to go back to architecture. I've never gotten bored. I mean, the kitchen industry is constantly it's evolving. It's changing. Appliances are, you know, every year there's something new out that's exciting. The design trends are, you know, it, kitchen design has come a long way since I've been in the industry. When I started, it was mostly literally older men selling kitchen cabinets <laughs> and as many as possible <laughs> so that they could make a lot of money. And... Um, I've seen the industry evolve and it's exciting. It's evolved into a very high, high design field. And um, then there's a lot of women in it and major women players. And that's exciting to me. Probably because of you. Well, you're doing a great job. I know you work quite a bit with Jim Magney. I think you're doing something like eight kitchens a year with Jim Magney. Yeah, I think it probably has averaged out to that for like at least the last 15 years. Yeah, he has an architectural background as well. And I think we really connect on that level. So you've really had the experience of working on a variety of kitchens, from the very traditional to the estate kind of luxury kitchens to the uber contemporary. Is there any preference in style for you aesthetically, or can you simply do it all and love it all for different reasons? Yeah, you know what? Honestly, I, I've designed every style you can imagine. Right now, if I have to design a Tuscany kitchen, I might slip my wrist. <laughs> the truth. <laughs> You've done <been> too many? <laughs> a little too many, <laughs> yeah. But I do love, um, you know, very contemporary, very sleek, clean aesthetics. Um, I studied in Denmark as an exchange student in the 80s. I don't want to say how old I am, but I'm <laughs> pretty old. And I think that's probably where I learned um, to love simplistic design. Um, right now, that's where my heart's at. So when you are, t- are tackling a kitchen, 
there's so many elements involved in it. I would say that your architectural background comes into play big time because, in other words, interior designers certainly have an expertise in doing kitchens, but they bring you on and architects bring you on as a specialist because you bring a lot more to the table. Can you tell us more about that and how you work with those clients? Yeah, I mean, for sure, the, the designers and architects that I work with are very capable and able to design the kitchens. Um, the thing is that I go to Euro Cucina in Italy every other year, the kitchen show. I go to the kitchen show in Vegas. I just keep on top of all the appliances and all the trends. And the details are crazy when it comes to kitchens. I mean, I consider kitchens like mini versions of of a building, the architecture of a building, all the details. And quite frankly, uh, the architects and interior designers just really don't want to get to that level of detail necessarily in the kitchen. So they, you know, trust me to, um, to work with them and get those details right. Um, so that's how I work with architects and designers. But I think that my architectural background helps me a lot because um, I do look at the building and I do have a love and appreciation for architecture and the history of architecture. And I pay attention to the building and the materials and how the building's constructed. And I try to make sure that the kitchen relates to the building. And I, and I respect the architect and the architecture. Is there anything about a kitchen that is particularly complex in particular? Let's say, is it the cabinetry, for instance? Is it just, is it the hardware? Are there aspects of it that are, most people wouldn't really understand or appreciate how difficult and complex it can get? Yeah, well, right now I'd say the hardware is a little bit tricky because there's so much, um, there's a lot of new hardware out there that's mechanized. And I've seen a lot of it in Europe and a lot of it's not here. So um, it's important to... Well, you have to try to figure out how to find that hardware. And then all the instructions come in German or Italian. So you have to figure out how to, you know, install it based on that. And, um, yeah, so I'm really into tricky hardware right now, mechanizing everything. Well, I saw one of your closets, um, wardrobes, I should say, just recently. Um, I think it was on Georgina in Santa Monica. I've never seen doors open like this or close. It was almost like magic, smoke and mirrors. I've never seen the likes of it. <laughs> yeah. Can you describe the way that worked and, and where you got that hardware? <laughs> yeah, it's it's really cool hardware. It's um, called the coplanar hardware. And it, the design that I did, there were four very large doors. I think they were three feet wide by eight feet tall. And all you have to do is touch the door in this little sweet spot on the door. You touch it and it mechanizes. It pops open and slides sideways over the other door. And you just touch it. It's just a light little touch in the right spot and the door opens and closes. It's just sleek and beautiful. I mean, it looks like a clean, simple wall. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, but behind it, in one area, we have open shelves. In the other area next to it, there's actually a desk. And the desk uh, countertop and drawer pull out to create knee space um, and then go back in. So you can hide anything behind those doors. Tell me a little bit about um, moving on to closets for a second, because you've done some incredible wardrobes, and I know we can't name celebrity names, as tempted as I am, but you've done <laughs> a lot of celebrity closets, okay, and wardrobes. Um, you described it as being a very logical kind of profession, doing these, and you really like them now. Like at first there was resistance, but you really like them now, and you, did, you talked about the aesthetics of it and the logic behind them. So tell me about yeah. that when doing a, we were a really great luxury wardrobe. Yeah, well, in the beginning, I, I really hesitated doing wardrobes. Just the whole, you know, counting people's socks and underwear just, just made me crazy. <laughs> like, do I really have to do this? But then, you know, as I got into it, I started to fall in love with the closet design and wardrobe design. Um, but yeah, logically, like I love the idea of when you walk into a room 
write what you see as something beautiful. Like I like to, if the woman has beautiful gowns, I like to have like a lit gowns, you know, section that you can see lit up when you walk in. I like all the lights to come on like a boutique when you walk into the room. I do a lot of backlit panels behind shoes. Um, and I have all the shoes and accessories by the, the door as you leave. So, and anything seasonal would be in the back of the closet where you don't get to very often. I mean, it's all very logical. It's very, you know, easily well laid out. And is the new thing now for people who can really afford to do a spectacular wardrobe to have it look a little bit like a Brodeo Drive boutique? Yeah. Would that be the goal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a client right now, and she told me she wanted her closet to look like the Christian Dior showroom on Rodeo Drive. So I actually went in there. Nice analogy. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I went in there, and it, it's kind of funny because I wanted to you know, look at the details that she liked, and I was going to take some pictures, but they wouldn't let me, of course. And I mean, I had a couple pictures, and they were blurry, and I jokingly told the client that they were blurry because I was running out of the stores they were chasing me out when I was taking pictures yeah great. but um yeah the, and they do they want something that looks exactly like a high-end boutique showroom and so you've really accomplished that for a number of clients now and you just had an article in the LA Times like what two weeks ago yes really nice. <laughs> yeah, on closet wardrobe design exactly. yeah it yeah, was, it was great yeah thank you so how do you deal with people? You work with, again, Jim Magney, a very noted, reputable, wonderful designer. And because of meeting Jim, you met Richard Landry and have worked on his own home now, I think, in Malibu. Um, what's it like working with these really discerning personalities and sort of you know, picking up where they leave off, in a sense, to create the same vision they have? Yeah, you know, it's it's actually really an honor to work with them. They're both very, very um, lovely people, and they have great personalities, and they're a lot of fun. Um, then I have a lot of respect for them and I, I do respect their design. So I think I really take their design and I just try to detail it out the way that they would, you know, want it detailed. And so we have a, a relationship where we trust each other and they know that I'm not going to try to, you know, change their vision and they know that I'm going to detail to their liking. And that's a very important thing for you because I know that they have a very particular aesthetic. So you really have to be so in tune with them to get that right. Yeah. So it's that's a very true. seamless interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I love it. I love what they do, so it's easy. It's what I would do, you know. It would be what, the same what, details. What are some of the mistakes that people have made when, let's say they hire you. Let's say a celebrity hires you, and they, and they tend to have their own ideas about what they want, but you kind of know best because you're the expert. If they go in their own direction, what are classic mistakes that can be made when designing, say, a closet, and you just know that they're going down the wrong road? Oh, well, with closets, um, gosh, I don't know. There's so many different things. I mean, um, I had a situation recently. Um, the question is like, for example, I love to do shoe rooms. I love to be able to walk into a room and have it all lit, backlit, and have beautiful shoes. I have a client right now that has the most amazing shoe collection. And, you know, I wanted the, sh the room to be beautiful. I wanted it to look like a boutique. But this client really just wanted to store as many shoes as possible. <laughs> so we have voids in the corners where the shoes are crammed in. And, you know, it's just not aesthetically designed as beautifully as I would like it. Um, I think she probably did get maybe eight more pairs of shoes <laughs> in the closet. <laughs> That's something. <laughs> but I would have preferred you know, to have less shoes and have it more beautiful. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, so things like that. Yeah, but it's their home. Yeah, it, and know? it's their home. And so I have to, you know, respect that and ultimately do what they want. And, you know, I often I'll tell them what my thoughts are and why. And I usually pretty much at the end went out. But sometimes I don't. That's good. <laughs> and then the I'm okay. All, if only <laughs> yeah. they listen. Yeah. Um, you're going to be speaking at Dwell on Design on a panel called Kitchens on Fast Forward. 
uh, yes. with Russ Diamond, <laughs> yes. which is really going to be fun. So the topic of that is really going to focus on, of course, kind of these state-of-the-art Oz kitchens, things that maybe we don't know about, the, 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 the latest bells and whistles. What sorts of things are coming down the pike that you're dealing with now that are just amazing in terms of a very futuristic, fabulous kitchen that's got everything? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the appliances, of course, have come a long way. And I know Russ is going to talk quite a bit about that since he owns an appliance showroom. Um, but, you know, cabinetry-wise, I think there's a lot um, about maybe computers. I saw at Euro Cucina last year, they had a countertop that had like a computer, like a, an iPad in the countertop. So you could slide it with your finger over to, say, the refrigerator. And you could pull out all of the, you know, ingredients out of the refrigerator that's, <laughs> that's on your <laughs> recipe. Then that's you could great. slide it over to your, you know cooktop and you could start cooking, you know, with the recipe right there, or you slide it over to your seating where you could read the paper while you're drinking your coffee, you know, right on the countertop. I think that's really interesting. I mean, we're not there yet, but it's coming. It's totally coming. You're going to start getting requests for those things after 12, I feel it. (laughs) Probably. And I actually know somebody that can actually do that. That's um, great. when, When the client asks me for that, but it's coming. And what about lighting? Is there anything really extraordinary happening now with kitchen lighting? I know it's a big thing to have the counters lit beautifully and so forth, uh, but yeah. anything else new coming along those lines? Yeah, well, for the last few years, um, we've been backlighting onyx in like a seating area just to add like this sort of soft glow to the room when you're not even in the room. Um, you know, the kitchens are often open to big spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice that if you're not actually in the kitchen to have that, you know, stone glowing from a distance, you know, just to sure. sort of catch your eye. So we do a lot of that. Um, you know, we back, we've done some uh, light panels behind glass backsplashes that actually could be on um, RGB like color. So they could change color even, which is kind of fun. Um, my favorite though, I mean, I'm not really a fan of changing colors on the backsplash. <laughs> some people like that, but I do love a backlit backsplash, you know, to brighten up the room and have even continuous light. That sounds terrific and stunning, too. So everyone always asks, like, like your favorite child, you know, what are your favorite kitchens and favorite wardrobes? Can you kind of walk us through some things that you've done that you thought were just a knockout that exceeded your expectations? Oh, my gosh. That's such a hard question. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. I'd have to think of something recent. But I, there's a material that my cabinet manufacturer invented that's amazing, and it's um like a layered acrylic with a silk screen color in the middle. And it's got this beautiful depth to it. And we've designed a few kitchens for Jim Magny in, in this material. And it's absolutely beautiful. Photographs don't do it justice. You have to really see it in person. Um, but the detailing on that's extra tricky because layering acrylic is very heavy. So we have to pay a lot of attention to the weight of the doors and the proper hinges and making sure we're not, um, we don't have too much weight on the refrigerator so that that works properly. Um, so there's a lot of detailing issues there, but um, overall, the aesthetic is like nothing else I've ever seen. That sounds really beautiful. So you, you mentioned traveling to kitchen shows and so forth. Do you spend a lot of time going to different design fairs to get your inspiration? Yeah, I do, actually. Okay. <laughs> I go to a few of them. Um, you know, it, it, they're all different. The Eurocochina, I think, is the most aesthetically inspiring. I see the most um, in Milan, mm-hmm. um, that inspires me when I come back. We are a couple years behind. Well, you know, it comes here in the states and to LA. You know, at least a year and a half later. So I like being on the cutting edge, kind of knowing what's happening. Sure, um, sure. That's great. It also, I think, hinders me a little bit because I'll have a client say, "Oh, I really want you know dark chocolate cabinets with you know white 
island. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Oh gosh, that's so two years ago, <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> but it's really mm-hmm. not yet, you know? Right, so right, in some right. ways that hinders me a little bit. Um, but I do like knowing, you know, what's, what's coming. Uh, the show in Vegas is really mostly about appliances and really networking, you know, going to the events and parties and seeing people and just reconnecting. Sure. Yeah. And also Solane is going on right now in Milan. That's where Russ Diamond is, and he's visiting all kinds of clients <coughs> and doing things there. Have you been to Solane, or is that something you'd like to do at some point? Yeah, well, that's the Euro Cucina. They do that every other year. The kitchens are every other year, but the show is every year. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. and then when they don't do kitchens, they do lighting. And I would love to go to see the lighting show. Sure. Um, but the reality is, you know, I have a four-year-old, so it's very hard for me to leave the country every single year. <laughs> so I choose to do it every other year. And I, yeah, so I go when they have the kitchen show. You know, you tell me some really interesting things about your background, which I really loved hearing. Your dad was an engineer. Your mom was a lab technician and also a widely exhibited photographer in museums, which is great. So you have a little bit of the building and the artistic background together with mom and dad. But you grew up in a Gustav Stickley home. And so you really, from the get-go, were surrounded by design. What was it like growing up in the very small town in upstate New York compared to the shock of coming to New York City where you ended up for a while? Yeah, it was quite shocking, actually. Um, You know, growing up in a small town, we didn't have locks on our doors. I didn't even really know how to use a key until I moved to Brooklyn. I'd never been to New York City until I went to college. Um, which is a good thing, because had I known what I was in for, I probably wouldn't have gone. <laughs> it's really good to not know. Um, but yeah, I mean, growing up in a stickly house was great. Uh, I, we, we had people like strangers knock on the door when I was a kid, asking to see the house. I had no idea why. I just let them walk in, <laughs> go through the house. It didn't bother me. I loved it. But so you might have thought it was an ordinary house until suddenly you found strangers knocking on the door saying... It's a stickly. Can we see it now? <laughs> yeah, they just wanted to say, but just say, can I look at your house? Can yeah. we see inside? And I would say, sure, come on in. Um, but yeah, I actually purchased that home. My mother sold it um, and I repurchased it back about nine years ago. Great. So I own that house now. And yeah, I love that house. It's always had a special place in my heart. So it probably offers you this nice peace of mind away from all the crazy urban things that you are involved with. You know, yeah. Between yeah. All your projects. Yeah. I dream about going back in the summers. And having that quiet life. <laughs> so you have to make that happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> so you also, you, you've done a lot of different things in terms of where you've lived. You've lived in La Jolla for a while, too. Yeah. So New York City, La Jolla, and so on. And didn't you plan on staying near San Diego to get your architecture degree? Yeah, you know, I, um, I had to get out of Brooklyn after Pratt. Five years of Brooklyn in the 80s was really hard. And so I thought, well, what's the opposite of Brooklyn? It was La Jolla. <laughs> Just about polar <laughs> as opposite. As far as I could go. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to La Jolla and I worked for a design build firm and it was a wonderful firm. I loved working there. Um, but I decided to go to uh, graduate school and I did. I applied to three schools, UC schools. I applied to UC San Diego, UC Berkeley and UCLA. And that I really wanted to go to UC San Diego because Rebecca Binder was the head of the program. And I really wanted to work, uh, study under her. Mm-hmm. But UC San Diego ended the program that year. There were budget cuts. So she took all of her students and went up to Berkeley. So my only choice was my last choice, <laughs> which was UCLA. Um, but that ended up being one of the best experiences of my life. So I have no regrets and believe that that was meant to be. It really was. Yeah. So you studied architectural history and theory at UCLA. And didn't you see there was only two people in that class? Yeah, there were. I was one of two students in that program. <laughs> that were accepted that year. So I was honored to be in that program. Yeah, it was a great program. 
So now with your business, I mean, recently you had a, quite a small office when I saw it a few weeks ago, and now you've got, you've tripled the size, <laughs> which would say that you're really busy. And I noticed also that you've got this great dog in the office that's in this cute little, almost like a Philippe Stark looking dog bed, which I really was impressed by. And by the way, that should be on social media. Yeah. But, um, but tell me about your office now and all the expansion and what's yeah. going on. Well, I probably spent more on that dog bed than I would on any chair for myself. <laughs> My dog's very spoiled. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a really cute lucite bed. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's exciting. I've been needing to expand my office for a couple of years now, and I didn't want to move the building because it's literally a couple blocks from my house. It's a very dog-friendly building, and it's a design center in San Diego. I'm sorry, in uh, Santa Monica. Um, and I just love it because it's just very creative people. It's not necessarily interior designers, but there's um, film producers. There's a guy that uh, has a sci-fi prop business. It's mm-hmm. just really unique, creative people. Um, so I really wanted to stay in the building. So luckily, <laughs> the office next door opened up, and I was able to take out, take over that space. And now I don't know what to do with all the space. <laughs> it's probably kind of shocking. Suddenly you've got room to go around, but you've got a great library there. And yeah. You've got a wonderful new employee who's who's working with you now, Carolyn Shinaki. Yes. Jeff Shinaki's daughter from Snyder Diamond. And yeah, so this she's is great. fantastic. A lot of good help around I here. do, yes. And and I, I actually put everybody in the office farthest away from me, and I'm lonely. <laughs> <laughs> But now you have the executive space you've always dreamed of. Exactly. And you don't like it. Exactly. <laughs> what about like all the events? I mean, do you find yourself now in terms of marketing your firm, making a conscious effort to go to a lot of the dinner parties, the, the A&D museum events, you know, all the things in the industry that are going on? Do you, do you yeah. try to get out as much you know, as you can? I, I go to more now that I'm, you know, working on marketing and I'm, you know, I, it's hard because I do have a four-year-old, so I try to be with him as much as possible. You know, I work a lot of hours, so um, I pick and choose the events very carefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, because right? you're a mom. Yeah, you, know, you have yeah. to manage all that. But you seem <laughs> exactly. to do it. Yeah, I mean, you'll be at Dwell, which is great. Yes, and hopefully uh, you'll be at Legends in La Cienega. Yes. visiting those things too. Yes. There's a lot of good stuff coming up. Yes, and that's this will be the first time I've actually I'll be going to the Legends in La Cienega. Well, good. <laughs> I've never okay, gone great. before, okay. but I'm I'm definitely going to go this year. All right, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and as far as the future of the firm right now and things that you're doing, what what's kind of your vision for just moving a few years ahead? You know, you're very busy right now. You've got a great celebrity clientele working with the top architects and designers. What's next? Yeah, I <laughs> I'm really um, I'm excited to have expanded and I'm ready to, you know, stay at this level for a little while. Um, I don't know. There's some thoughts and talk about maybe putting a book out. I have some products that I want to um, maybe get on the market. Um, some closet accessories, things I'm like that. About that great lucite thing that you mentioned. That yeah. doesn't photograph that great, but spectacular it's looking. stunning. Yeah. So we're talking about possibly working on that, selling that to the mass market. Um, we need, there's some logistical things we need to work out, but it's, it's in the works. Yeah, you should definitely do a book. Yeah, that yeah. would be great. And we can all get your great kitchen tips. Yeah. Which we should be learning right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the progressive ones. So, well, this is great. Well, Lori, thank you so much. It was really fun talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And if you want to find out more about Lori, it's Lori Hayfula Design, HayfulaDesign.com. And, uh, and again, our company is Communication Arts and Design. And you can hear about us as well. We market the industry, designers and, and architecture professionals. But thanks again today for, for talking to us uh, on Combo by Design. Okay, thank you. Finally, this is another one of Christine's conversations with her good friend, Francesca Garcia Marquez. Yeah.
This is Christine Anderson, and I've been involved in the design and architecture profession for over 25 years. And I'm very happy today to be talking to Francesca Garcia Marquez, my very close friend and a very successful designer. And a designer is a small word for what you are, because as I've watched you through the years, I've seen you design incredible restaurants. I've seen you curate notable exhibitions involved in lecture series at major museums, and it's very difficult to ever introduce you quickly. So <laughs> <laughs> what I would say is... Well, thank you. Sure, it's all true. Let's start from, the, from just an interior design point of view. How did you get involved in interior design, and did you ever imagine you would be doing this? Well, I guess I started in Milan, where I worked for Gio Ponti, who basically designed everything from a teaspoon to skyscrapers and who was the founder of Domus magazine. So that's how I started off becoming so um, interdisciplinary, That's if you very will. exciting to work with him. Very. And um, I worked with some other also multidisciplinary designers there. And then I moved here in, a, in the late 80s. And my first job here was at Pacific Design Center, where I was... Um, where I worked for, where I was hired by the marketing department, and where I became director of programs and exhibitions, principally working on Westwick. But I was hungry for interiors projects mm -hmm. and design projects, so I kept looking at the classified ads. And one day I saw an ad that said, "Minimalist designer wanted for Bauhaus exhibition." <laughs> and I thought, whoa, this is me, this is me. So I went to the interview, and that's how I met the phenomenal Bernard Zimmerman. Oh, yes, who we love, and that, that's, that's one of our greatest yeah. losses in design. Right, and um, we didn't do that exhibition immediately, but he immediately hired me to work on the interiors of Citrus Restaurant that he was doing at the time with his partner, David Ovid. And um, I went on with other work to do other work with them, such as the Ramada Hotel West Hollywood, which was actually the first boutique hotel in LA, and won an award from Restaurant Design International, that's now Hospitality Design. And we worked on a few other things, um, Hamburger Hamlet, and so on together. And then a couple of years or so, I started my own studio working on, well, operating in all the fields that you're talking about. Right, and interiors, let's not forget graphic design, by the way. Yeah, interiors, <laughs> graphic design, branding, exhibitions, and then, you know, curating also programs and exhibitions. And while I was doing that, I, um, I, also, I was also working with the design center at that, then I started working with them on a consulting basis, but also on West Weeks, and I did that for about nine years until 2000. Um, let's see, some of the interiors projects that of mine that I've worked on, well, there was Zenzero Restaurant, that right. you remember in Santa Monica, where, you know, I did the interiors, the graphics, the branding, and so on. You sort of did everything except work in the kitchen, honestly. <laughs> I mean, and that place really is, it was a signature for you. It was a very stunning contemporary was, restaurant. yeah, and... Um, well, that, in that project, I was hired by the architects. Um, that was um, Nikon America and um, Takase Associates. And so I was working on the interiors. I wasn't actually working on the architecture. Um, but otherwise, everything else, yeah. Right. Then I did Cafe Synapse at the 
Gondon Neuroscience and Genetics Research Center at UCLA, where I also did the architectural interior and the, um, and the lighting. And that also won an award. Um, let's see, what else? I have, in addition to Bernard Zimmerman, I've collaborated with other architects like Stephen Kanner and Ted Tokyo Tanaka on some projects. With Kanner, we worked on the, well, I worked with him as a merchandising designer and graphic display designer for the Puma stores. And I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, your experience with so, architects is, is very deep, and yeah. you know so many people on a personal level, and I have a feeling that's what influenced how you got involved with working with the L.A. County Art Museum, because you were one of the originators of the Masters of Architecture program, and I'd love to hear about that and how that's evolved right now. Well, yeah, that started off... Um, actually, that was also conceived by Bernard Zimmerman, we founded it together in 1991. And the interesting about thing about it is, well, there were a lot of architecture and design lectures happening at the schools. But they were attended only by students and architects. Mm -hmm. And the, the intent of this program was to actually, um, was actually as an educational program for the public to increase public awareness of excellence in architecture by presenting the highest level of architectural talent around the globe. And we thought that the best place to do that would be LACMA. So we set it up with LACMA's education department and, um, then, and worked on it together. And then I took over as chair in about 95, I think it was. And it, yes, it was extremely, well, it has been extremely successful. Absolutely. And tell me something. Give me some of the names of people that were featured during that series, because I used to go to several of them, and they were many of them were Pritzker Prize-winning architects. Yeah, we had about 13 lecture by Pritzker Prize-winning architects. And to date, there have been over 65 lectures. Um, the Pritzker Prize-winning architects were, well, the, the latest one was Zumtor. Yes, right. Um, but there was also, of course, Frank Gehry, um, Sterling. Mm -hmm. We got him just before he passed away, mm -hmm. which is really lucky. Renzo Piano, who was our, actually the first speaker oh, that's we excellent. ever had that's in That's a 91. good portent. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tadao Endo. Uh, let's see, who have I not mentioned? Well, that Tadao gives us Ando. an idea. I mean, those are yeah. all internationally known names. And yes. And the... the um, the idea is to present either great masters, you know, who've either been Pritzker Prize winners, gold medal winners, and so on, or the hottest rising stars. And, well, in 2011, we changed the name to Distinguished Architects right. Lecture Series. And it continues pretty much in the same way as at LACMA. The latest speaker we had was one of the hottest rising stars is Ma Yan Song. Which I went Beijing. to. Unbelievable yes. work. And then just before him, we also had um, Bjarke Ingels from Beek. And some of the others we've had, for example, um, just before they won the Pritzker, so it was a good indication. We had Jacques Herzog just before he won his Pritzker. Um, Shigeru Ban. Yes. Also, yes. we had also. several years ago, and mm -hmm. now he won the Pritzker. I think two this last year or something like that. I believe so. 
And um, yeah, so that has been a, a, a really wonderful achievement and really appreciated by the public, which was the main idea. Right, you've sort of proven that it's not just a hermetically sealed world, you know, for people right. who are studying to be architects, you know, in this very intellectual profession. You've really made it of such household interest to people all over Southern California, because honestly, when I go to the Bing series to see these, and I see you up there at the podium, pretty much it's filled. Yes, pretty much you always know. packed, and with everybody, because in addition to being a public venue, um, it's also a neutral place for students and, and from all universities as well, so they all come, right. whereas, you know, they don't all to each university. And we get a lot of the public, and it has been a wonderful thing. Because when we started, you know, architecture was not very esteemed. It was before, really before the time of the famous architects, so to speak. So the culturally aware public in Los Angeles was very informed about art, but not so much about architecture. So yeah, this, that's very interesting. Yeah. You really made an impact. Too. And now, of course, there are lectures all over the in many museums and so on, sure, but at that sure. time, not. Uh, let me ask you this also. You recently received something very interesting yourself, among <clears> other <throat> awards in your past, but you received the 2015 Best of Los Angeles Award for Achievements in Color Consulting. Yeah. How do you win an award like that? Well, that actually is mostly attributable to, for about 12 years, I've been working for Mount St. Mary's University doing historical restoration projects a lot. Both campuses, they have one campus in Brentwood near the Getty and one, the Doheny campus, which was the old Doheny estate um, near USC downtown. And a great deal of my work there has been creating, creating color palettes, architectural color palettes for the buildings. Mm -hmm interiors and exteriors. And I've worked on exteriors, I've worked on probably about 17 structures on the two campuses and done many interiors as well while I was doing interiors and so on. So um, I think it's mostly attributable to those projects. And did you have to prepare a presentation for them to look at in terms of what you've done or had they simply been following your work and studying it and you became a candidate? Yes, I think so and I believe I was recommended because um, I did not prepare anything. That's one, That's even better. I actually <laughs> didn't even know anything about it until I got a letter saying congratulations. Your so. reputation precedes you. <laughs> <laughs> that's really wonderful. Um, I'm looking forward to going to more of the Distinguished Architecture Series, our Architect Series, and I'm wondering are there any other names you might mention of people who are maybe in the wings that will be seen coming up? Well, I can't really give you anything that's not yet confirmed. Because you're in process. But there are several architects I would really love to have on the series who we have not had yet. One is David Chipperfield, mm -hmm. who I've actually been trying to invite for years. <laughs> and somehow, you know, we have to find the right time for him because he is sure. so busy around the world. Sure. Um, what about Norman, Zaha Hadid? Was she becoming? That could be a, a thought. Mm -hmm. um, another 
Arctic, we have not yet had is Norman Foster, who I excellent greatly admire. That would be wonderful. So, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's not as though you don't have enough names to mention to them. Oh gosh, no. You know, why not join the posse? Because it's always prestigious and always really wonderful. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this is great. Let me ask you this: in terms of the other things you're doing now, I know you're, as I mentioned, you were a d design, graphic designer, interior designer, working on this series. Um, are, are there some projects coming up that you want to talk about that you're particularly enthused about right now? Well, I'm really mainly working at the moment on some graphics projects, and I'm doing some interesting brochures. Um, you know, large brochures. Great. Which are, Great. yeah. All aspects of creativity. I know it, it, it's you're, you're the most difficult per person to pigeonhole, which I love because your life will never be dull, <laughs> well, design-wise. You are so kind. <laughs> well, this is wonderful. I'm really. I want to say congratulations to you on the series because um, Masters has always been wonderful, and the fact that this is continuing and that you're in charge yeah. makes it makes it really great, and it's going to have a nice purist sensibility. So we'll know everybody who comes is going to be really terrific, and I'm looking forward to the next one that's coming up. So um, so thank you very much for coming and talking about what you're doing and your background, and it's been terrific. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor. So Christine just disappeared like a flash, but her legacy lives on in the friends she's made over the years and the work she's done on behalf of her clients, her business partners, and the relationships with her friends. My hope is that those who didn't get a chance to know Christine, now you do, a little bit. And for those who knew her well, I hope hearing her voice, her laugh, somehow brings you some solace and eases your pain, if even for a few minutes. To her friends, co-workers, and, and I call them that, even though we all know Christine was the boss, I always thought of her as, as one of the team. Friend, team, family. I am so sorry for your loss. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for allowing me a forum to share my grief and um, for providing a place to celebrate Christine. Really, uh, the, the only way I know how, thank you to Convo by Design Partners and sponsors Thermosol, Moya Living, Franz Wigner, Article Furniture, and York Wall Coverings for making this show possible. Now, gosh, more than ever, remember why you do what you do and for whom you do it. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Be well. And until next week, uh, take today first. Mm -hmm.